0: to another episode of the North Pole Pod. Uh, I'm your host, Tyler North. I'm Rob Hardesty. And holy shit, what a tournament this has been. Uh, from the start of the first day of the tournament, two weeks ago, up until now, as we're getting ready and getting prepped for the Final Four, we've had upsets galore. We've had some blowouts along the way, which wasn't expected. What was unexpected was this Final Four of San Diego State, FAU, Miami, and UConn. Uh, this is the highest group of seeds ever at a final four or second highest group i should say vcu in 2011 when yukon
1: funny so enough won i was gonna say a little foreshadowing there from the last time uh we had this high of a cumulative uh seeding ranking
0: yeah it was it was the kemba year um i believe when yukon won when they were a seven seed and vcu got in as an 11 seed um but that was 26 if you were adding up the seeds this is 23 or 22 so not far off from that I'm not a math major, so don't hold me to the 23 or the 22. Uh, but I do know it is a very high group of seeds. Uh, but before, you know, we hop into the Final Four and those teams and, and give our predictions, let's just do a quick recap. Let's look at some of the best moments um, from this tournament. And what we're going to call this segment is, is what are our candidates for the star on the tree, aka the one shining moment. So if you've ever watched the national championship at the end of the national championship, they would do a compilation of the best moments of this tournament. Um, and then the "The one shining moment song will be in the background. So um, to kick it off, I think, first of all, the one thing I'm going to remember and, and one of the things that's really going to stick out from this tournament is Marquise Noel and the show that he was able to put on. You remember the Kentucky game that he had and what he was able to do against Kentucky. And after the game, Cal caught him that little boy, uh and then he took that and went back to his home city of New York. His Twitter handle is Mr. New York City. And he goes back and has 19 assists and 20 points um against Michigan State in that sweet sixteen game. Uh so that's one of the things that, that really stood out to me was just his utter dominance, um, game in, game out, and what he was able to bring to the table. Um, but what was something that stood out for you?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say just real quick, I mean, he was certainly a highlight reel. He has many plays, I'm sure, that could qualify for uh this compilation. Um, I, I think the Furman shot just starting in the early weekend, you know, the second game of the tournament, uh, the pass from Kihei Clark, the turnover, and then the three to 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 win it was was pretty amazing, especially at you know uh, a 15 seed. Um, so I think that's definitely got to be in consideration there for for the one shining moment play.
0: Yeah, JP Pegasus had that shot that'll be heard around Greenville probably till the end of time. Um, just an incredible shot put Furman into the next round where they. Fell to San Diego State, who's now in the final four. Um, TCU was able to get a game-winning shot. Um, I think it was Coles that got the game-winning runner against Arizona State. That was in the first
1: round, and that kind of got overlooked because there was another game going on that I'm sure you had your eyes glued to. (laughs) FAU? Yeah. FAU-Memphis, yeah. I mean, what a game. I think, you know, you talked about the possession towards the end of the game that resulted um, in FAU's favor, but certainly a hell of a game and uh, a grind-out win for FAU there.
0: Yeah, and that was Nick Boyd, um, who, who was able to to get that freshman and, too, I believe. And
1: it was. And had had they not advanced past that round, would we be seeing obviously a different final four here? I don't know if Memphis is that team or or how that uh region shakes out, but uh certainly pivotal and in, in where they're at uh in the final four.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you look at some of these teams and you know, they were able to overcome some adversity early on. I mean, even San Diego State was down to to uh to Charleston. Um, early in that game, I think they were down like five or six at halftime yep. uh, to Charleston and were able to come back. And who knows where we would be with them? You know, maybe Alabama is in the final four when it's all said and done. Um, It's just so many close things early on in the tournament that end up shaping out uh, the end result. Um, One of those, and I will we'll get to them in a little while, Miami came back against uh, Drake. You know, Miami was down, I think, eight with three, four minutes to go and went on like a 15 to one run to win that game over
1: Drake. Who knows where we would be if that didn't happen. Right, yeah. And that's why March is so great and why we love this tournament. I think, you know, the postseason format for, for the NCAA tournament is 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 the best and uh, compares amongst none. So, yeah. Well, any it, other highlights you thought? Yeah,
0: and, and really quickly, just touching on that point, you know, you might not always get the quote-unquote best teams. This has been a season that has had parity from the top to the bottom. We've been saying all year, there is no dominant team. There is no dominant team. So why are we that surprised that we get a bunch of upsets and a bunch of teams that just happen to be playing their best ball at the right time in the Final Four? That's
1: I think that was what we were expected, was the unexpected. Yeah, and it's like you look at years past, I think, with like Baylor, Gonzaga being, you know, two standout teams separated from from the rest. We didn't really see that this year with, um you know, as far as uh, a standout team, you know, um, much more talented than the rest. So. There was there was no one dominant team. Yeah. I mean,
0: Alabama kind of came on at the end, but they had their off the court issues that I think put a black cloud over their team as a whole. Um, that that kind of hurt them. Um, FDU beating Purdue. I mean, we're we we would be remiss if we did not talk about the Fairleigh Dickinson Knights and what they were able to do.
1: Um,
0: you know, second ever upset of a sixteen over one. Tobin Anderson um, took that win and said, "All right, this is great," but. T neck, I've had enough. I'm going over (laughs) to New Rochelle and heading over to Iona. He took over the Iona job um after Rick Patino left for St. John's. Um, but incredible story. You don't normally see that. You know, they had five guys, I think, that were starters that were all under like six seven or six eight. So they just ran around. It was
1: so funny to see that height mismatch on the court. But oh, with with Ed and all, yeah. Yeah. That was that
0: was actually really funny to witness. And, And it was a great game plan on their their end, you know. We're going to speed them up. We're going to put this freshman backcourt into situations that they're not comfortable with. Yep. We're going to press and it worked and, and great job on their end. Um, Princeton, anything you want to touch on Princeton? I mean, they were the third ever, fourth ever 15 seed to make the sweet 16. Kind of went under the radar because of what FDU did, I feel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I don't think, um that, at least in my opinion, Princeton was one of the upsets that I had completely counted out and here they are making a run of the sweet 16. Um, yeah. Great job by them. And representing the Ivy League there,
0: yeah, absolutely. And and their big man, um, I I can never pronounce the guy's name, Tano or Eno. You know, I can't remember what his name is. He actually, um, declared for the draft, so he's actually, um, and he did not keep his college eligibility, so he will be going to the draft. So, you know, this tournament, it shows it can make guys millions and millions of dollars. I mean, this guy might have never been drafted if Princeton doesn't beat Yale in the in the Ivy League final. And it's it's awesome to see stories like that. Um, the straw the shot, I, I think is something that ha- absolutely have, has to be mentioned. If you did not check out the game, um, UCLA was up 13 on Gonzaga at half and then Gonzaga ended up being up 10 with a minute 15 to go on UCLA. UCLA came all the way back to take a two-point or one-point lead. I think one-point lead.
1: 12 seconds, I believe. Um, Amari block. Bailey hit yep. a three
0: for UCLA to, to go up one uh, with 12 seconds left. And then Gonzaga came down, ran the Villanova play, the 21 pitch that we saw with Chris Jenkins and Ryan Archidiacono. They ran it to perfection. Strawler shot that ball from the freaking logo, man.
1: <laughs> and it was one of those shots I was screaming, no, 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 no. I was rooting for Gonzaga that game. I thought he shot it too early. Of course it goes in and, you know, UCLA doesn't even get uh, a shot off to come back to win. So um, yeah, it was pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. that And then that just adds to that, the, the history between those two schools, you know, with UCLA and Gonzaga, we saw it in 2021 with Jalen Suggs hitting a half court shot to send Gonzaga to the, to the national championship to keep, their undefeated season alive at the time. Obviously, they lost to Baylor, which ended that. Um, and then Adam Morrison, I think back in like 06, 05, something like that, um, lost in heartbreak fashion after back to back turnovers uh, with inside 30 seconds against UCLA. So these teams continue to play awesome games. Um, anything to note with Arkansas? You know, I thought Arkansas's upset over the defending national champion of Kansas in the second round uh, was a very h- highly contested contest in Des Moines. But um, I did want to highlight that because I thought that that was kind of a pivotal point in the tournament that really showed how at risk these one are and how vulnerable they are. Um, that was just something that I think really stuck out to me.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I think we touched on a little bit um, previously, you know, being a good matchup possibly for Arkansas and all, and all the talent that they had on their team, you know, with two potential lottery picks, I believe, in the starting five. Um, so not super surprising in that sense, but to your point, um, just you never know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh I don't know if you can hear him right now, but Lager has decided to uh to join our podcast here for a couple minutes. He uh has gotten a little antsy. Um, this is our mascot of the pod. He's uh, he's my golden retriever if you're unaware. He's about two years old now. Um, uh, but he wanted to chime in and and uh make us all never forget UNBC and what they were able to do. The retrievers, <laughs> that's your that's your mascot, bud. Close enough to the
1: state dog, but
0: absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um I know we touched on Marquise Noel. But uh, or Jerome Tang, and, you know, I, I know we touched on his press conference. We, we talked about that, you know, in conversations together. I think that was something that stood out. But also, them bumping little Baby. Was something that not only took over the college basketball landscape, but also took over social media. Um, because you saw so many people making videos with that in the background with the clap to go along with it. I thought that was something that really encapsulated the country as a whole.
1: I did not, and I liked it a lot, especially after, uh, FAU beat them out. And I don't know if you saw when they played the song after they won in the locker room. I thought that was pretty cool, but, yeah. uh, I, I did yeah, see that. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you're K-State, though, you got to be like, all right,
0: yeah, you guys got us. We're like, you yep. y- y- you have all the reins to go ahead and play that music. Um, and then finally, I, I did want to just touch on Rodney Terry. Um, he was extremely emotional after Texas's loss to Miami in the Elite Eight. Uh, and great on Texas, though, for giving him an extension, bringing him back. But, um, you know, you, you saw a coach that pretty much broke down into tears talking about how much this group of guys meant him, how he's going to be you know at their weddings uh there when their kids are born those are the types of things that go unnoticed i feel like a lot and i'm really glad that it was highlighted by by college basketball um uh, as being you know a, a very memorable moment
1: yeah definitely as a player um i'm sure that's a coach you definitely want to play for you're going to do your best to to show out for him super happy for rodney terry and obviously his hire um he did a great job um filling in for you know um chris beard and what happened there but um Rodney Terry. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing and, and great, um, great stuff from him.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have any other ones that we, like any omissions that that um, we might not have mentioned, obviously we could touch on the Terps beating WU. That was something that that started off the tournament uh, on the right note. Um, mm-hmm. You know, WU almost won that game on a buzzer beater. That was going on the same time as Furman. So I was like, oh, obviously I have to watch Maryland, but I got to see what's going on in this Furman game. Um, but you know, it's crazy to think about that we are here at the Final Four uh, because now we've got to wait a whole nother year for that first weekend because th- that that's my favorite. You know, those that Thursday and Friday are two of the best sports days of the entire year. Maybe not even sports days, just two best days of the entire year. It's nonstop action. It's upsets. We had the 16 beat the 1, the 15 beat the 2, the 13 beat the 4. And it's just, it's heaven. It, it really and truly is. And, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk here recently about whether or not this tournament is good, whether or not the the final four is good for college basketball. I think we were a little bit spoiled with last year's final four. You had Kansas, you had Duke, you had UNC, and you had Villanova. I mean, four prominent programs in college basketball. And I feel like that also has enhanced everybody's opinion to be such negatively skewed into this year because we don't have that powerhouse team, even though UConn is there. And UConn might be the most dominant team. past 20 years or so, right? Yeah, they won it in 98. They won it in 04. They won it with Kemba. They won it with Shabazz. This would be their fifth title in the last like 25 years. And I feel like that's kind of gone unnoticed as well. But what's your take on kind of the college basketball landscape as a whole? um, And, you know, how this tournament or how this Final Four, I guess, is being perceived?
1: Yeah, I mean, personally, I love it. I think um, FAU... It's maybe not a. It's funny because they're not a traditional Cinderella. Um, you know, having the most wins in the NCAA this year with 35 wins, I believe it is at this point. Um, some might say they are undefeated as a nine, but you still have a nine in the final four. Um, an incredible run. Um, I, you know, typically people I think like to root for a Cinderella, but for whatever reason, the TV ratings don't back that up. So it's an interesting point. I think it's great, like you said, the parity is awesome to see. Um, the upsets, nobody's safe. Um, And that's what I love about March in in this tournament. Yeah. And and the one thing, you know, like talking,
0: talking about nobody's safe, you know, every, a lot of people had Arizona, like elite eight or final four, even Purdue, they had going pretty far as well. And you just never anticipate that happening. You might call an upset. Like we talked about, maybe Colgate can beat Texas or, you know, maybe Vermont can hang with Marquette possibly, but we didn't even talk about Princeton Mm -hmm. beating Arizona. We didn't even talk about, excuse me, fairly Dickinson beating Purdue. We both had Purdue bowing out early. But none of us saw that coming. And I think that's the the thing that makes it stand out is the unprecedented events that that you just can't predict. And I don't look at this as negatively with college basketball at all because there's a lot of great stories that are going on with these four teams. You know, you talk about San Diego State. They're one of, if not the most experienced team in college basketball. These are guys that have been around here forever. Brian Dutcher, the coach for San Diego State, was with Steve Fisher, who was the former coach at San Diego State. He was with Steve Fisher back at Michigan when Steve Fisher had the Fab Five team. Um, so he's gone through a lot throughout his career to get to this point as well. You look at UConn, you know, they have some absolute ballers. Hawkins, Sunogo, um, Caravan, Newton, Aline, uh, Klingon. It goes on and yeah, on, they, the, the talent that they've got. And they've been, you know, they were a top five team at one point in time. And then they went on a six game losing streak. And we talked about it. What do you think? kind of alluded, or what do you think happened during that six-game losing streak? How do you think that started for UConn?
1: Well, I know this is one of your personal favorites, this guy, and and the impact he has on this team and Andre Jackson Jr., um, I think there is a direct correlation with their slump in that losing streak that you mentioned. He he, I read something, you know, he was super down on himself. He wasn't playing well. He felt like he was letting his team down. And now you see they're clicking on all cylinders. He's running across the court, preventing turnovers to open looks. That is just complete game changer. And um, I think you would say an ultimate glue guy for a team that you would definitely need uh, to be, you know, to win this to win it all
0: yeah he's absolutely a guy that you have to have uh in order to to win a championship i think that a lot of these teams do have those guys i think that uconn's is the best uh when it comes to that glue guy and you're right you know what he does does not show up in a stat sheet and i'm telling you if you're listening to this before the final four games or if uconn wins and and uconn goes on to the national championship just watch 44 watch 44 the entire game you will be absolutely amazed your jaw will drop you're like This guy is incredible. This guy does everything. Nothing shows up. He might only have six to eight points or five to six rebounds. But look at the other stuff. Maybe the steals are there. But watch the back taps on on the missed Mm -hmm. shots that he's able to to keep the offensive possessions alive or the drawn charges or uh, the the blocks that he's able to create uh, on the the offensive end when he's attacking. He just does every little thing right. and, And I absolutely love him. Yeah,
1: I agree. Absolute difference maker.
0: Um, But yeah, you know, just like like we said, talking about it being good or bad for college basketball, I think we both come to the consensus that it is good for college basketball. These are new teams. These are teams that, if, as far as coaches are concerned, none of these coaches have ever won a championship. We haven't even touched on Miami. Jim Laranega's been around forever. You know, he took George Mason. 17 years ago now, I want to say it was. Maybe. I want to say it was 2006 or mm-hmm. 2005. Yeah, when he took George Mason to the Final Four, you know, when they upset Kansas in the Elite Eight. Uh, They were an 11 seed, I believe, when they went to the final four that year. So that's a guy that's been around forever.
1: Forever. You mentioned I heard something today, actually. He if he were to win, he'd be the oldest coach to ever win in any major sport pros college um, just in front of Dusty Baker, who just recently got it. I think he beats him out by like a month or so. So, That's wild.
0: 73 year old. That's wild. Yeah, Yeah, that's crazy to think about. So I think you know, as a, as a society, I feel like we always want to look at things so negatively. And we always want to nitpick and say, oh, well, this isn't good enough. Oh, well, this isn't good. That's not good. This isn't good. Why can't we just embrace the the good parts of it? Why can't we look at this situation and be like, wow, we have teams that have really never been here before. Um, and we have new coaches. We have a team, like you said, that has won the most games in college basketball all season long. So if you want to say, oh, the best teams aren't here, we have the team that has the most wins. You, I don't care if it's, oh, well, they didn't play anybody. Well, guess what? They're in the Final Four. And so it, clearly they've done something, right? I'd like to add, too, they're a part of the Conference USA. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Conference USA, if, if you're unaware of this, so Conference nope. USA, Charlotte won the CBI tournament, which is is kind of the step below the NIT. So it's not as great a competitions But nonetheless, they still came out victorious victorious. You had UAB against North Texas in the NIT finals. North Texas won that game on the back of Tyler Perry. And then finally, you've got FAU here in the Final Four. So they're represented in all three of the major conference tournaments from the postseason. All four of those teams are also leaving for the American Conference <laughs> next year, which is crazy to think about as well. But great representation by them. And it just shows you that it doesn't really matter you know, what conference you come, on, come from or who you might play. It's all about the heart, man. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, I feel like it's all about the heart and the desire and the will to win,
1: and we're seeing that from a lot of these teams. Yeah, it's a shame too. I think because FAU, I think stole an auto bid. I think they would have been an at-large, uh, regardless of 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 that uh, championship game. So I think you would have seen two bids there um, from Conference USA. But nonetheless, like you said, four still representing and um and title games.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and one thing to touch on with the FAU bet. Um, so if you did listen to our last episode. Rob uh, got closest to the pin, and his bet was uh, $5 uh, to win, I think, 125 on FAU to make the Final Four, which came to fruition. Um, so Rob had that predicted correctly. One of my biggest predictions, I think, as a tournament was calling San Diego State over Alabama. And to touch on San Diego State, um, you know, they had a very controversial call, to put it lightly, against Creighton. Mm-hmm. There was a call, um, excuse me, against Nemhard. He had his hand on Tremell's back. They called the foul with about a second left. Obviously, Creighton was upset. San Diego State had jubilation because they ended up winning and going to the Final Four. What is your take on that call? Do you think it was the right call? Um, and if it wasn't, you know, what do you think should have happened? And, and
1: do you think Creighton would have won? I guess, yeah, more or less, you know, yeah, what, what do you think was the right call? I, I see this. I don't even see this much as a controversial call. I think there's uh, people would have to recognize some lack, lack of objectivity there, that, you know, having Creighton. Um, in their bets, wanting them to win, there was a foul. It was clear. I think the biggest thing with me that that bothers me is inconsistency with the officiating. Uh I mean, you saw bloody elbows to hacks and and stuff. They let them fight all game, and then to come down to that, it's tough. I get it. It was a foul. Um, you know, Trammell had him beat. Um, I think that's a that's a good um takeaway. I think you know, San Diego State wore them out on defense, was able to get the edge on Nemhart. They're exhausted, so I think it was a deserving. Foul call for him, you know he got him beaten. Ultimately, uh, finished one or two at the line to to seal it.
0: Yeah, and and I was listening to the Mark Titus podcast, uh, which is a Barstool affiliate podcast, and um, one of the things that they mentioned is let's play the Duke game. Let's throw Duke into this conversation. Let's say that it was Duke that committed the foul, not Creighton. Does anybody complain? And then <laughs> let's and then let, on the other end of the spectrum, let's say that it was Duke that got fouled all of america is probably complaining that wasn't a foul how are you going to call that that was a closely contested game whereas it's kind of been 50-50 split on what your opinion might be of the call but i just found that funny that everybody just has a natural hatred for yeah, duke in-
1: including myself i you know <laughs> i would definitely love myself in there so yeah this um, pod even, i will recognize that for sure
0: yeah even though i might have had duke in my final 4 and uh, i had a future bet on them to make the final 4 even though all of that might be there uh, i think at the end of the day we both yeah. still hate duke and, <laughs> and we'll, we'll go to our grave uh, hating duke so um, I, until the very end,
1: I did want to ask you though, it was an interesting point. I heard they don't make that call on Creighton. San Diego state loses in overtime. Is this a big of a deal as it is right now?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So essentially let's say that Tramiel was driving Nemhard, even though the foul was called, let's say the foul doesn't get called uh, misses the shot. We go to overtime. Creighton ends up winning. Um, I think you know, it, it's it's one of those things where I don't think it's probably as highlighted as much because it wasn't a game deciding foul, which is what this inevitably was. Um, but I do think it definitely would be talked about. You know, it's it's like you said, the objectivity has to be thrown out the window. I know that there's calls that are missed. I know that this was a very physical game. Like you said, it was bloody. There were bruised elbows. There were shots to the head, whatever you might want to say. If the foul is there and the ref thinks the foul is there, they have to call it. Have and to. the foul was there. I understand it's a very tough spot to take a foul, but it is the truth. You know, sometimes the truth hurts. And and that is the rules of the game is that, did it alter his shot? Yes. And if it did, then it's a foul. Um, I I do think that, yes, you know, it might have been talked about from the San Diego State point of view a lot more if that foul was not called and Creighton had won in overtime. I don't think it would have gotten as much national attention as it did, um, being that it was the game deciding call.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: A um, couple other things we do want to touch on uh, before we do get out of here. Number one, Miami's comebacks um, and, and UConn's dominance. These kind of go hand in hand because one of the things um, you know that we've noticed with Miami, we talked about it against Drake in the first round. They were able to come back and win that game. Um, Indiana, they were down for a little bit in that game and then came back as well in that game. Um, the Houston game, they were pretty much in control of the whole time. But then Texas, they were down 10 with eight minutes to go and came back and won that game. And then you look at UConn, kind of on the other end of the spectrum. They were losing at halftime to Iona, came back, dominated that game 1 by 20. They were losing by 4 to St. Mary's. Alex Dukas got hurt. UConn dominates that second half, wins that game. They dominate Arkansas. They dominate Gonzaga. They really haven't faced much adversity probably
1: since that first half of the St. Mary's game. Um, I was going to say, with that being said, do you think there's something to be said with the grinded-out games that Miami's had coming down the stretch, making every shot, um, you know, Isaiah Wong, for example, just ice cold. Um, Jordan Miller, um and not then, missing
0: free throws. Yeah,
1: perfect from the field as well, I believe, seven for seven. Um, and then UConn, I, I you know, obviously you mentioned it. I think they average a twenty point um margin, um, point margin in their victory. So um not super tested uh late in these games. Uh what I, it's gonna be an interesting matchup. I think they both have the the best um offense left in these four teams. Um so what do you, what do you make of that?
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree that those are the two best offenses left. And I would 100% take the over. I know it's 149 and a half, which if you're doing the math, 75 and 75. So, yeah, I think both these teams score 75 in this game. Um, Yeah, it's going to be interesting because if you look at this and and you're starting to um, throw a hypothetical out there, let's say that UConn is up two with five minutes to go. They haven't been in this situation yet in this tournament. How do they fare? You know, do they crack under pressure? Do they continue to pound the uh, pound the ball down low to Sonogo? You know what's the foul trouble like? How does Danny Hurley handle handle this situation? Because he hasn't really been in a situation. It's certainly like this. a wild
1: card when uh, emotions start to get intense. You know you you've seen that. Yeah, I, his uh, coaching career. I
0: do think UConn's talent can overtake maybe the lack of adversity that they have had so far in this tournament. Um, I do think it helps. I think it helps Miami more than it hurts UConn. Like I don't think it necessarily hurts UConn as much as it will help Miami because they've been in these situations. They are a veteran group as well. Um, and I think that that, if the game does get close, I would kind of lean toward Miami and I would give the edge toward Miami Um, just because, like you said, they they kind of been there, done that throughout this entire tournament and kind of throughout the entire year. Also, this is no slouch. This is a team that tied for the lead in the ACC tournament. I think they won the ACC tournament uh, or ACC regular season title, excuse me. So this is no slouch. All four of these teams or three of the four teams, excluding UConn, won their conference regular season. Yep. So we're talking about, oh, UConn's great, UConn's great. Miami won the ACC. San Diego State won the Mount West. FAU won Conference USA. These aren't any slouch teams. And I think that that's something, that's the negative energy that has been personified by America with this group of Final Four teams. And I want everybody to get it out of their mind, get the bad taste out of your mouth. This has been an incredible tournament, and these are four great teams that are left. But what's your stance on you know whether or not Miami's adversity is really going to help them, or does it hurt UConn not playing in these uh, tightly contested games.
1: I think you said it. I think you hit it pretty spot on. I think it, it definitely will help Miami in this situation. But you mentioned it. UConn's clicking on all cylinders. Uh, the talent that they have, I think that they can ultimately overcome it. They're too deep at every position. It seems like their starters. Um, excuse me, their bench is almost just as good as their starters. Um, you know, a domination to go. Um, I I really think that UConn, obviously, they're the favorite here. Um, I'll ask you for your pick, but um, I think UConn is is here to win it for for uh, the 2023 national championship.
0: A domination Sonogo, I yeah. like that. That's yeah. that's a nice one you got there. You <laughs> you pull, like did that? you pull that one out of your <laughs> sleeve right there? That was, that was a good one. Um, yeah, you know, and kind of alluding to you know the story of the tournament. What what are you going to remember from this tournament? I would say I'm, I'm definitely going to remember Fairleigh Dickinson uh, and Marquis Noel. I think those are the two things that that really stand out. But you're always going to remember the national champion. Um, And I think, you know, my pick, you know, you you alluded to UConn. UConn is minus 125 right now to win it all. So they're a prohibitive favorite going into this Final Four. Um, But I'm going to go with San Diego State. I love this Aztecs team. I've been on this Aztecs team from the beginning of the year. I took them 70-1 to back in November to win it all. I also have Miami at 65-1 to to win it all. So I have two teams in the Final Four, two futures. I had eight. So I only had eight. It's not like I picked every single team out there. One of them was Maryland by allegiance, um, but I did have eight teams to win it all. Um, And and I just, I love the veteran leadership of this team. Everybody keeps saying FAU hasn't played their best game yet. FAU hasn't played their best game yet. This San Diego state defense is nothing like they've ever faced. Not only this year, but probably ever. I don't think Dustin may has, has ever come across a team like the San Diego state team. That is athletic. They are defensive minded. They guard the three point ball. The best in the entire country. I think teams are shooting under 20% from three in the NCAA tournament. Defend the rim as well. And I like that, you know, if UConn does beat Miami, I do like San Diego State against UConn as well because of that defensive prowess because I think they have everything to match up. You've got the big men and Mensa in a rope to match up with Sunogo. You've got guys like Matt Bradley, uh, James Butler, who was the, the co-defensive player of the year in the Mountain West with his teammate Nathan Mensah. Um, to, to match up against Hawkins. You've got Tremel. The one thing that really, really concerns me about Yukon, they don't have a pure point guard. They have Tristan Newton who has kind of been forced into that role. If you get a team that can pressure them and, and give them some trouble in the backcourt, which I think Miami was gonna want to do because they're gonna want it. Miami's gonna want to speed this game up. I think you could absolutely give them trouble. I give the guard advantage to Miami in this game. Obviously, UConn's got the big man advantage. But O'Meara is no slouch as well uh, for Miami. But that is the one thing that worries me is if if UConn is able to beat Miami, that's the one thing that really concerns me in the national championship is the lack of point guard play.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think there's something to be said for that. And you know what they say, uh, defense wins championships. So um, that that obviously stemmed from somewhere. So San Diego State obviously um, is probably the pinnacle of the defense this year. Um, I I ultimately think though, just keeping up with pace, I don't I don't think they have the offensive prowess that UConn or honestly uh, Miami does coming out if they ultimately beat UConn um on Saturday. So, I, for me, I'm gonna take the team from the right side of their bracket ultimately to prevail. Okay,
0: and, and my my counter argument to to you before we do sign off is. They didn't have the offensive prowess or firepower that Creighton had, and they didn't have the offensive firepower that Alabama had, and they still came out victorious in those games, putting on a defensive showcase. Um, So Rob's got UConn. I've got San Diego State. It's been an incredible tournament so far. We hope that you have enjoyed listening to the last couple of episodes. The train doesn't stop here. You know, we will be segueing into the offseason, talking about the transfer portal, which has already been heating up. Uh, We actually heard some rumors today, maybe Hunter Dickinson, is, uh very quote unquote very interested in Maryland um so we'll see what happens there um we have had some coaching changes as yep. well that have been going on we'll highlight all those in our next episode when we start to break down um you know the the postseason and and, and what we can expect going into the the combine and uh going into even further into the the transfer portal as well uh, but any last thoughts on your end before we uh before we get ready for this final four?
1: I know I picked UConn to win it all. If I'm putting my money where my mouth is, it's true. But let's go hoots. Rob's on FAU. Rob, Rob's heart says FAU. Mine, <laughs> mine says
0: UConn. My heart and mine both say, say San Diego State. Um, definitely give us a follow on Instagram. We're out, out there on TikTok as well. We've only got one or two posts right now. That'll be ramping up. Twitter's been um, definitely a, a little bit more active. So definitely check us out there. We're on Spotify and Apple Music. But other than that, enjoy the Final Four. Enjoy National Championship Monday. We will be back next week, probably Tuesday or Wednesday, with an episode recapping everything and getting you ready for the offseason. For Rob, I'm Tyler. Thanks so much for tuning in.